welcome everyone to this episode of Afternoon Tea. I would like to thank my gracious hosts, Kayla Hewitt and Max Friedel, for letting us have this conversation. And I'd like to welcome our two guests, Amelia Walsh and Olivia Torbert. Uh, my name is Ben Ulrich, and I have brought all of these wonderful people here today to talk about sustainability on Georgetown's campus and why is it such a big deal? So um, I want to start proposing a question to the group and just asking what does sustainability mean to you and more generally? And this question is sort of lightly directed towards our experts in this field. And so if you would be so kind as to introduce yourself, that would be phenomenal. So uh, I'm Amelia. Um, I'm the current president of uh, Green on campus, the Georgetown Renewable Energy and Environmental Network, our campus's largest uh, sustainability club. Um, and I am a senior at Georgetown. Cool. Hi, um, I'm Olivia. I am the former president of Green at Georgetown Renewable Energy and Environmental Network. Um, Amelia and I also both work in the Office of Sustainability here at Georgetown. Um, and we're both pretty involved in like gusts of sustainability and other actions on campus too. So it's kind of our lives. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, as for what sustainability means to me, um, to go a little textbook, whenever I think sustainability, I think of the Brundtland definition is a pretty standard one for sustainable development. Um, that was from the 1987 UN conference on... <laughs> 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 it's a thing! It's established um, and it basically is saying that sustainable development should be um, meeting the needs of the present without uh, taking away a future generation's ability to meet their own needs um, so when we talk about sustainability you kind of have to say like sustainable what you know sustainable development sustainable fashion sustainable like food there's all different like sorts of ways of talking about this um, it's just a thing that can sustain itself into the future, to use the word in its definition. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like that. I feel like, I don't know, I feel like sustainability sort of gets tossed around as like a buzzword mm -hmm. a lot. Sort of, you know, people throw it in front of things to make it more palatable, more acceptable. So, you know, I and mean, what do you, what do y'all feel about that? You know, like what is your experience as you know, non-experts in this field in and what, what is sustainability? How do you perceive it? To me, I'm Kayla. I'm one of the normal hosts of this podcast, and I'm just a normal person who has thoughts about the environment. Yes. Um, <laughs> to me, I'm currently in a class um, that's about like uh, disaster narratives. Um, and so our first segment unit thing was about like climate crisis. And so we had a lot of conversations about like the word sustainability. And now it's kind of like made me think of it in terms of like, like the kind of the word sustainability kind of makes me feel kind of icky, um, in that it feels like doing what we have to do to maintain what is harmful, you know, to like maintain this status quo and not necessarily like making active like radical change. Just like if we can be quote unquote sustainable and continue like making a profit and continue like just doing what we're doing, even if that's like not the technical definition of the term like it mm -hmm. feels like just kind of like a band-aid 
to me. But I also like in my head like sustainability. Like when I think about these things, it overwhelms me to try and think about like bigger radical changes. So it's like easier for me to be like, I'm gonna be a vegetarian, and that's like sustainable, <laughs> um, because like that's really anxiety inducing to be like a lot of things need to change um and i don't know where to start with that or how to like impact that um so yeah that's what i think about when i think about sustainability yeah i'm no expert i had this like uh i'm max one of the co-hosts um i had this like uh project i had to do in sophomore year of high school everyone in my grade had to do it and you were in like teams of four and you had to like design a sustainable city and like everyone had to do it you had to like create a full size like san francisco size city in google sketchup i don't know if anyone's ever used google oh, sketchup yeah. but basically everyone in my entire grade like wanted to die and like <laughs> sustainability became this huge meme and like everyone was like lol sustainability and then would like throw recycling in the trash and like <laughs> and it's just like one of those things where it's like it like was a word that because people said it so often it became meaningless mm -hmm. effectively because like it was yeah because like basically we weren't talking about it in an effective way um at nor were we taught about it in a particularly effective way um such that like basically we could google anything and then like put it into our projects and so it was like that is like kind of like my homegrown experience and then now i kind of like am developing a more like i'm terrified of <laughs> climate change and would like to not die <laughs> please i think that's very i sort of feel like i'm sort of in between both you know the definition that Amelia provided and sort of how y'all feel about sustainability where I sort of feel it as it's this very it's this aspirational thing but it also feels sometimes it feels very meaningless and I feel like that makes it difficult for me as an individual and even as a student on George Hans campus to know you know you know why should I be sustainable you know what is it what does it matter? Why should I care? You know, like what, what is my obligation to be sustainable? And so I, you know, I guess I want to ask, you know, what do you all think about that, about that obligation? Like what do we have an obligation to be sustainable? And sort of like, if we do, like sort of what does that look like? Mm, I think what comes to my mind immediately when we, hey, it's Olivia again. Um, when we talk about the individual's power to be sustainable, to be environmentally friendly, like I think of the like overwhelming evidence almost against that, that's saying like it all comes down to like corporations changing their practices. Um, and like that's what's really going to make a difference in governments changing their policies. Um, so that can be really disheartening when we're talking about the individual and what we can do. And I ha know some people who are like, oh, like, I get really stressed about this, but ultimately I realize I don't have any power, so who cares? But I actually think like to have corporations change their practices, to have government policies change, we have to have like all the individuals believe that this is something that's really important and we have to have individuals like putting their actions where the, their beliefs are. And so I think one, it's important because there is power in an ind individual doing different things and two, there's or like the individual being environmentally friendly choosing to have sustainable practices in their everyday life that does act, even though it's a minuscule impact it's still an impact and then two i think it sends a bigger message and it creates a culture that demands sustainable action so that's my thoughts 
Yeah, I, I so I worked on, <clears throat> like, in local public radio this summer, and I did, like, a segment on, like, trash, mostly, but I got to, like, to talk to this guy um, who runs his company in, like, the D.C. area that does compost. Um, basically, like, you pay to have this company come pick up your compost. Is and then it the, compost It's cab? compost cab. Yeah. Love yes, compost. we love compost cab. <laughs> <laughs> we love compost cab. Um, yeah, but, and so, like, in talking to him, uh, it kind of, like, gave me this new sense of hope because he has this, like, very like different perspective on things in that he's like look i know things are bad but every week we go to these farmers markets and we pick up like tons of not literal tons but like tons of compost mm-hmm. from people who are like self-electing to like learn how to do this and who are coming out or like paying for this service and like if we give people the opportunity to like live their beliefs then like they will do so um and like although like obviously it's like extremely optimistic and like as you said like what needs to change is like bigger governmental and like corporation to change on the governmental and the corporation corporate level. Um, like it does feel nice to like have that hope of like, yeah, like individuals can do things and like we can work together to like change the learning that surrounds these kinds of issues. Um, but still there's the existential dread that yeah. I think I'm still going to come back to. <laughs> so first of all, I love, that I love the you know the idea of being able to harness you know the power of individuals to sort of drive social change. I think that you know one thing we talked a lot about in I mean, I think of climate change class is how people there's sort of an idea that people sort of act sort of in their best interests and that's all they act in. But people oftentimes react based on what other people are doing. So if they if I see you know all of us all of you start composting and be like well maybe I should start composting for various reasons you know maybe I'm shamed into it maybe I'm I'm motivated by it, inspired by it, but it does change my behavior. And so I think that I really, it does make me feel better knowing that even if my actions aren't always going to have like an immediate, tangible, powerful effect, they will be able to shape some other action. Um, I also want to talk about, you know, you know, so one of the reasons I was really interested in reaching out to Max and Kayla about doing this podcast is because you know, in our conversations, um, Max and I are roommates, and so Kayla's over a lot, and so, you know, we've talked about how climate change is sort of this, like, existential dread thing for you, and so, like, how do you, how does your behavior shaped by, like, that knowledge of climate change? Like, what does that, like, what does that feel like in your day-to-day life? Um, and you and Amelia and Olivia are more than welcome to answer that as well, too. Sure. I mean, you know, I think about it, uh, like, I think one of the things that was really impactful for me is, like, you guys remember earlier in the year when Cape Town was just, like, gonna run out of water, like, in a matter of days, and then they just, I don't think they did, ultimately, because of, like, government intervention and, like, importing, like, mass amounts of water, but, like, watching people just, like, teach each other how to, like, just go without showers for, like, hella long and things like that, I was watching that, and I was, like, that's a metropolitan center of like a huge country that's like very well developed with a robust economy you know and like I think about like with the discussion we just had like sure we can talk about like corporations really changing their behaviors but if we like want you know like less um like cattle and dairy farming then you don't get to eat steak and like have Burger King and McDonald's and stuff 
and like you don't get to drive as often as you want like it like requires kind of like a reordering of creature comforts that like makes me think about like what I you know am enjoying so like I don't know I don't eat beef anymore but like that it feels like such a minuscule change but stuff like that like it's kind of like you know you you can rationalize so much before you know you like think about it all the time so now I feel better that I like use public transit but the thing is it's like I live in the suburbs at home so mm-hmm. I don't know it feels like an L so I don't enjoy it as much when I drive at home I guess <laughs> um yeah I get that I it's like a something in like a Blog Brothers John Green video from mm-hmm. like a really long time ago where like I don't remember what the video was actually about but I was watching this and the thing that like stuck with me he was like I drive a car and I do that with the knowledge that like for me to be able to do this most of the population of this earth like cannot um, and so like I think about that a lot like I'm a vegetarian I went vegetarian because I was like it's better for the environment but I also like just flew to Texas for two days and then flew back mm-hmm. um, and so like I think that's like part of it too like constantly being like you're really screwing up Kayla <laughs> but it's also like I'm gonna do this because this is what people in like our society and like among us do mm-hmm. um, so yeah it's kind of just like constantly di- doubting what you're doing and constantly trying to like make yourself feel better about like being a human because like to a certain extent like I guess I could like be a recluse and like stop trying to emit any kind of like have like any kind of carbon footprint but like at this point in my life it's not realistic but it's also like is like if I wanted to try harder you know Mm -hmm. um but I don't know I feel like that's like a that's a greater issue and that's why it comes back to like bigger things have to change than just like me deciding to like not drive a car when I go home which like I have to you know yeah can I jump in on this? This is something I think about constantly. Like, why don't I just run off into the woods and build myself a little, like, like hut? Wait, literally a few weeks ago, I asked Amelia in the Office of Sustainability. I was like, how are you? And she looks at me very seriously and it's like, honestly, I'm just really stressed about climate change. <laughs> <laughs> so this is true. <laughs> so I am most of the time. That's my, like, constant emotion. Um... What it comes down to for me all the time, and this is me explaining how I solve it, not advice or <laughs> an idea as much, but it's important to me to do things that have value to me more often than I do things that have value to like the global society. Um, because I think at the end of the day, like I care about the world and I want to do good things for the world, um, but. You know, my individual, you know, for instance, like getting on a plane to go see family or friends is not going to be the final straw that tips us over into, you know, climate change disaster. So if that individual action is more important to my life, sometimes I would say, like, take that, you know. So I have some friends that are like, you know, I was out all day and I just was so thirsty and I almost passed out, but I knew I couldn't buy a plastic water bottle. And I'm like, it's okay, you can do that and take care of yourself because your, you know, individual self is often, I think, something you should prioritize because you can't take larger action on larger systems unless you take care of yourself. So don't do it to the detriment of yourself or your happiness. That's what I usually think when people get existential about it. That's how I feel. Yeah, I I struggle with this a lot because like I think it's just the reality that we live in a society that doesn't let us be fully like 
if we want to use the word sustainable, I guess sustainable. Um, and so it's hard. Like, we can only do so much, like, being individuals, especially, like, for me, like, not coming – like, I'm not of, like, high socioeconomic class. And so that plays a big influencer into, like, what even choices you have to be sustainable. Um, and I also think that, like – I don't know, like, when uh, – like, I think when we're looking at this issue, it is important to look at, like, what you can do within your own situation, within your own, like, place in society, but also constantly be pushing, like, on society itself, which I know is getting, like, really, like, theoretical, but that's ultimately, like, just recognizing that you have these constraints, but also constantly trying to, like, push those constraints and, like, see how we can loosen them and upend them a bit. And not, like, critiquing everyone that when they mess up, I think. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You guys, did you see all that post from, uh, it was about like Greta Thunberg? Mm-hmm. Um, and she was on a train going to a conference and she had like a meal in front of her and there was some plastic in the meal. And someone had commented like, she calls herself sustainable, but look at what she's eating. And then someone else below that had commented like, she's eating a vegan meal. She's taking the cleanest transportation she could possibly take to get here. She's going to speak about climate change to a national, uh, global audience. You know, you the only food she could get on that train was this, like, prepackaged plastic meal. You can't tell me that she's not allowed to eat, you know? So I think, like, mm-hmm. being aware of, like, what level we're talking on and, like, is it worth it to critique the smaller things if the larger issues are what are more important? Or is it worth it to critique people at all if you're trying to make a positive social change? I think, like, also maybe part of the conversation is, like, for me a lot of the fear is not so immediate like my actions but like generational mm-hmm. like in high school I had asked my dad if we could stop eating beef and he was like you drive a minivan to school so shut up and I was <laughs> like okay I guess but then like now I'm thinking like when I'm my dad's age if I have kids in when my dad had kids it'll basically be 2045 2050 by the time those kids are my current age sorry I know that's a lot of math but like <laughs> Like, thinking, you know, that, like, my kid, like, if I follow my dad's path, like, would be as conscious as I am right when thing like, shit hits the fan is, like, really, like, what kind of gets at me, you know? This idea that, like, basically, like, we're probably the last generation to, like, enjoy suburbia, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, is, like, really, like, the fear for, for me more so. I think it's, it's so, I feel as though we're very, we're so aware of how constrained we are as individuals. And I think that really, I think that really leads into sort of my next, the next thing I sort of want to talk about is sort of knowing sort of all of our limitations, whether it's based on our age, based on our class, based on our ability to influence society around us. I mean, you know, we live on a university campus or at least live adjacent to a university campus. And so we're very much constrained by what resources are available in and around that campus. You know, I think part of the issue with trying to be more sustainable is that you really have to have a certain level of independence and to a large extent, a certain level of wealth to be like, hey, I'm going to like, you know, own a house where all of the water is like fully recyclable and I have solar panels on the roof, stuff like that. And so, you know, that sort of ties into me wanting to ask how, how do we find either meaning or how do we see the impact 
of our individual actions to be sustainable and to sort of be cognizant of the environmental effects our actions have on a campus that is so that has a lot of potential to facilitate us being sustainable people and being sustainable actors but also constrains us in a lot of ways you know for example i am on a meal plan because i'm a resident assistant and you know that is it makes the most sense for me to go to the dining hall or to go to one of the on-campus restaurants and get my food that way but i know that a lot of that food is probably not the most sustainably sourced and i know that i eat a lot of meat and stuff like that because that's what's provided and that's what frankly is like actually edible to eat at the dining hall and so you know it makes me think like I'm sort of challenged because I would you know I'd love to go to Trader Joe's and only buy sustainable stuff but then it's you know I can't use my meal plan there and that the meal plan is an important part of like how I pay for my college experience so um, you know what are some ways in which given the system we're in we can find meaning and see some sort of positive outcome from our individual actions that are intended to be sustainable. This is kind of a weird one, and also probably not exactly what you're asking, but I think about it a lot because mm -hmm. it's like in my apartment. Um, so I live in Arupe, and we have automatic toilets, and the toilet flushes all the time just because it's like a really like sensitive sensor because it is a nice ass storm <laughs> <laughs> but like all and like every time it does i'm like why wasting so much water wasting so much water and like when i'm at like I, this is like a separate tangent but like i have a friend's house like that we like when we just pee like we don't flush the toilet and we just like let it rock or whatever and we got an argument about it the other night because we like one person in the house is like why do we do that like what do we actually like it's not doing anything. And we're like, yeah, but, like, it saves water, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. And it's, like, turned into this whole thing. And it was just, like, nonsense. But, like, it feels like it matters, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, so, like, when I, like, walk past my toilet to, like, go to the shower, which is my 20-minute shower anyway, like, and it flushes. And I'm like, I don't like that. Like, why can't Georgetown change that? Like, why don't I just, like, have a normal handle thing? Like, things like that, which I think are, like, too in the weeds, but also, like, are real like it wastes a lot of water right. um i don't really know where i'm going with that but it's just something i think about like every day <laughs> <laughs> i feel like it's like there's all like these little microscopic things that we do that are kind of like if the entire campus like stopped doing that one little thing like it would have such a huge impact so like if you know every time i went to go use the toilet and it like flushed automatically like think about how much water you know we would not be wasting so like i feel like it's it's hard because it is so minor, but like on the larger scale, it is so, it can be so significant, but it's like, you don't really, you can't always tell like where that happens. Uh, yeah, like one thing that freaked me out this summer, I worked for Res Living this summer as like a, I worked at the RHOs, but then when you work at the RHOs, you also do whatever they tell you to do basically <laughs> when you're not at the RHO. Um, and one of the things they make you do is like room checks, which is like super easy job. But one of the things you have to do is make sure the AC is running like all the time, basically. Mm -hmm. Like you, like when you, you check a room, you make sure everything's good and then you just leave the AC on and go. And like, I wouldn't, honestly, <laughs> I would just send the AC off and dip. Um, and like on the one hand, like obviously it makes sense as like a housekeeping thing. Like, 
if there's a smell it's like sure also if people are pulling up after like a hot day to like move in like sure right but then like for me like when i'm just like going through lxr and it's fucking empty and no one's there and like there's just like 200 rooms that i've just checked and i'm supposed to somehow keep the ac on on for all of them it like freaks me out a little bit so i'm just like ah you know but it's like it's like uh I don't know. I don't know how it can, you know, I've never talked to like the dude who runs Res Living about that. That was just like a personal thing. But it, it's like one of those things where it's like, mm-hmm. this is like so obvious. Like, why, why don't you just pay like one of the like kids like me to just go back and turn it on before people come in? But it's like, um, I don't know. And then I never brought it up. So like, maybe it's me too. I think something that I don't know where I'm going with this either, but I, it actually made me really happy to hear like both of those stories because growing up I was always kind of the annoying sustainability kid that was my niche thing (laughs) Um, but I would be the kid like let's recycle this piece of paper and my friends would be like haha no throw it in the trash you're dumb (laughs) and like that was fine because I was like willing to stick my neck out for that because that was something I cared about but it's interesting to me to see even the past like 10-15 years that, like, things that I did, uh, or, like, I'd see, like, environmentalists, like, act, like action leaders do when I was young that seem so radical now are just, like, expected. Mm-hmm. Like, my little brother, who is not an environmentalist in any way, um, is not really, like, progressive, um, came up to me this summer when I was home, and he's like, Amelia, you're going to love this. I just bought reusable straws for me and all my friends going to college, um, which is really cute. They all just going to co- college this year, and he was like, this would be a great gift for us because it's funny to have, like, these, like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, But then he was, like, but I started using them, and I loved them, and, like, to think that, like, small, like, things that seemed unachievable or unattainable, like, 10 years ago are so commonplace today, or things that, like, would you even notice the AC being on, like, 10 years ago, and versus today, like, it really, like, drives you crazy. Like, I think the amount of change, like, you know, if you are eventually the boss and you're sending some student in to check the AC, you'll probably be, like, hey, just, like, turn it off as we go through. Like, I think that generational jump is going to happen much quicker than we think as we start going into positions of power because mm-hmm. this generation just is so knowledgeable at large. You know, not everyone, but the number of people our age that understand these issues in such a nuanced way is is kind of, like, uh, giving me a lot of hope. Mm-hmm. I would even go further than saying, like, oh, it's changed a lot in 10 years. I think, like, we're seniors, and I think it's changed a lot since our freshman year, mm-hmm. what people are talking about. Like, my freshman year, like, I was also the weird environmentalist kid, and I'd be like, oh, like, let's do this and this. Like, just turn off these lights. Like, don't use the AC all the time. And that was, like, weird rhetoric, I think, for people to hear. But now that's completely normalized at Georgetown. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so cool. Like, people that I don't even think about as being like, environmentalists, like, they're not, like, actively, like, that's not their identity, and they'll, like, post stuff on their Instagram story of, like, skip the straw campaign, or, like, here's this really other cool, you know, environmental thing that you can do, and I think it's, like, so cool to see how, like, environmentalism is becoming something that's kind of popular, Mm -hmm. which, like, I'm all about, yeah. I think that's a great point. I know, in my experience, so my little sister is, she's, like, she just turned 18, she is applying to colleges and like last year she watched that or earlier this year she watched that leonardo dicaprio climate documentary on netflix um and she was like like oh my gosh i love leonardo dicaprio blah 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 like that was kind of the reason she watched it but then she was also very much like 
like I need to like be better about being sustainable. Like for Leo, I need to like and now she's even like like she as she's in ecology, she, she's looking at places that sort of have some level of focus on mm. environmental issues. And I think it's remarkable how sort of the ability to visually like the ability to sort of demonstrate and make visible environmental actions and actions that are very conscious of climate and sustainability really have like such an incredible effect like especially when it's coming from either a lot of people or it's coming from people with a lot of influence and so I think that you know one of the things I wanted to do in having this conversation is to sort of ask the people who work in the office of sustainability and stuff like that you know there is a lot of really interesting stuff that the office of sustainability that green is doing to like make climate consciousness more visible and so i just like i want to know more about what those things are and how everyone else like the normal people here can sort of participate in making that visible to sort of accelerate the change that we've been talking about the sort of like ma the mainstreaming of like environmental consciousness yeah I think that one raises a huge point I think one of the largest uh, ways to impact on an individual level like a greater sustainability movement is just to like do sustainability in small ways you know like you bring a, your own cup to the coffee shop and the next time you come your friend also feels like they should bring their cup you know the number of times I've like pulled a mug out of my bag where I'm like oh I should do that next time I'm like yeah just like bring it next time and then now like we have two people bringing a mug Mm -hmm. um, in terms of like actual efforts on campus that we've been working on, um, a lot of the themes for the Office of Sustainability this year has been waste management. Mm -hmm. um, that's been a big issue, as I'm sure you guys have all heard. There's been a lot of like back and forth in our time at Georgetown about recycling and do we recycle and how do we recycle. Um, but that luckily, as we became more educated about the issue, became less of a conversation about recycling, you know, which is really hard, especially with current politics and who's taking whose trash and how it can be processed um, and more about you know what you use and, and where you use it and where you source it from and being like a conscious consumer um, so we are doing a lot of efforts there on you know composting your waste and just opting out of plastic um, yeah do you want to talk about Green's efforts yeah or I can also talk about Green Office yeah please do um, wait what's your professor's name Professor Olson Professor Olson listen to this <laughs> 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 no, Professor Olson, you're going to love this. Um, so one other project the office is doing, and this is geared towards um, faculty and staff, is that we're creating a green office guide where, like, this will be rolled out probably next semester. We'll be, pilot we'll be piloting it. It'll be rolled out within the year, like, really solidly. But we're trying to get a, like, checklist that offices can, like, have in that checklist includes like resources on where to buy things, how to buy things, like how to be more sustainable. But it's a checklist of like how to be a sustainable office or a department. So, um, or even like, I know the core pathways comes from the red house. Can, how can the red house be a sustainable house? Like, it's really cool. And it's all about like looking at the easy ways that like, 
each individual in the office and the office as like a functioning body can be sustainable and then adding those all up to see what the impact is and monitoring how that like is going to change over time and like having different tiers of like what is possible so maybe the first year the office will only like make a few changes but next year they'll want to go for a higher tier in the office sustainability and like get more notoriety and they can do that and that's awesome and so like I think that's an example that's we think of university and as students we think of ourselves but the people who are here longer the people who are like Mm. really defining this university are the faculty and staff and so this is more geared towards them and looking at using sustainability in its other sense but both meaning the same thing of like creating like a long-term like future that like can be maintained like this is trying to do that for georgetown um so that's cool and then looking at what green does green i feel like we just do so many different things and i think that's what's really fun is if you're into being a beekeeper you can be a beekeeper and which is amazing Mm. um and you might be like oh what do beekeepers have to do with sustainability like yeah they're cool like they like bees but yeah but then you like learn about it and you learn about the impact that like beekeepers have why we need them like you get educated about it and green is a big network so we don't not only have beekeeping we have a composting team um an environmental justice team that's what i do um yeah energy and water consumption recycling recycling bees garden education is that it? That might be it. We have eight teams. We have so, eight teams. But basically what's really cool about <laughs> Green is like we, we are a network, so it's not one group of people focused on one issue, but because sustainability is so complex, currently we have eight teams and we're always open to adding more, dropping some as like our needs and interests change. But basically it's a way to kind of get your feet wet in a bunch of different topics of sustainability. And what always has amazed me about Green is, you know, I think I've read up on all this stuff and I know all these things and then all of a sudden someone comes to the club and they're like, can I, you know, give a talk this week at the beginning of the meeting about something that's really important to me and they come out with this whole thing about, like, sustainable fashion or, you know, someone will talk, like, at really great length about the specific, you know, climate justice organization that they're really involved with and there's just so many, so many ways to get involved, Um, you know, so I think for someone on campus that's saying, like, you know, what is, what can I do at Georgetown to be more involved? You know, reach out to the names you know, the people you know. You know, if you know someone in Green, if you know someone in Gus's Sustainability, in Guff, in, you know, the works for the Office of Sustainability, anything like that, and just be like, you know, what are... I'm interested in food. What can I do for food sustainability on campus? And they could give you five or six names of people that are actively doing work on campus for that. And just creating that network has been one of the coolest things that I think Olivia and I have seen. You know, as freshmen, this club was maybe 20 people coming per meeting if you had a big meeting turnout and now easily we have like 60 people coming every meeting um just to like check in on their projects and more than that that are involved you know outside of like general meeting times which is really cool that's awesome so i think knowing that to the people who are thinking about this stuff but are not as actually involved in this what do you sort of want to see in terms of like visibility both from like green and the office of sustainability and also just like in terms of like for everyone what do you still think there is room for the university to do to advance this stuff so like now that you know or like i've been you know reminded about all the stuff that green and sustainability do like what is it sort of like how do you see yourself 
like what do you think you like can do to fit in with that or like what do you think you like would need to see to what do you think you would need to fit into that um something that i think green has worked on um but is like more composting on campus like i know mm-hmm. like at the farmer's market like you can drop off compost but like i think it would be great if like in like at, at i cook most of my meals but i like take my compost to like a friend's compost bin but like if I could just like dump that in like my kitchen like that would be nice or like mm-hmm. in Leo's when I eat at Leo's like it would be nice to like if like composting was more of like an accessible daily thing um because like my high school had that um and we had like a compost pile like out near the track which was gross I'm not saying we need that but, <laughs> like, um, but like we all had to learn how to compost and they like forced us to like do a field trip one day and like go down to like where they sort the compost and like the bottom of our high school so we all had to like see like how annoying it is when like you don't do it well um and so like if we could have like a system like that so like one like people are actively like engaging and learning um about like what goes where I think that's powerful and it's also just like a nice like reminder and it like also it feels good to like be like I'm not gonna create more waste than I need to today mm-hmm. um like something like that like things that are like more in like the daily like slog of it if it was just like there like that would be beautiful but I understand that like administration is difficult and like those kinds of systems are hard to sort through but like things like that I wish were more like prevalent on campus well, just very quickly, something that I think not enough people know about, like, our dining hall facilities, but is super cool, is we actually do all pre-consumer compost at all of our dining facilities on campus. So any food waste that's created in preparing any of the meals that you eat at Leo's, at um, any of the, uh, like, uh, Royal Jacket and um, the salad place and all of that. Still a salad place, yes? Crop shop. Crop yeah. <laughs> Start Epi just started doing it now, but the other ones have been doing it for like 10 years ish. All of that food gets composted, and all of the food that you eat in downstairs, Leo's, that goes back to the conveyor belt um, to get washed, that also goes and gets composted. So, we're doing a lot of work um, structurally that is not being advertised just through lack of personnel, which is something that is, if you want to not to take hope out of something, but if you want to, you know, feel a little bit better about your campus, like there are a lot of things that I've learned through working at the Office of Sustainability that we do. Um, you know, it's a massive amount of food waste. And next semester, we're going to uh, compost uh, both upstairs and downstairs, Leo's. All of that food that if you eat it and you leave it in there will be composted. So, um, mm-hmm. But, you know, in terms of, do you want to speak about, like, uh, residential opportunities? Yeah. So <clears throat> this has been a project for Green, actually, for a while. Um, one thing that we got going this year through a big grant from the Office of Sustainability was um, there's, like, how many? 50? 50. Yeah, 50 townhouses, um, all that, like, students um, live in that now have composting. And Green totally funds that. We, like, have Compost Cab, who you mentioned earlier. They come and pick it up, which is sweet. Um, and we're trying to figure out how to do this in residential halls. We have some pilot projects that are going to be happening this semester to try and, like, see what that looks like. And also, like, we have a working group trying to look at how to get funding for this for the future. But it's such a pain because you're right. Like, administration is... Like, they do a lot of fantastic things, but they're also very resistant to change. They're also heavily understaffed when it comes Mm -hmm. to, like, sustainability efforts and facilities efforts. So, like, that was my complaint coming in, like, freshman, sophomore year. I didn't understand why things were taking so long. I would constantly be trashing administration here. Um, And then, like, through uh, first, honestly, threatening to protest them because they weren't recycling, and then getting hired by them (laughs) to have them recycle. (laughs) Um, 
Um, then I realized, I was like, oh shit, there's only two people in the Office of Sustainability. They're the only ones that do any work, which mm-hmm. is incredible. And facilities people, they care so much and they're insanely understaffed. And so like these are the people that are really defining what sustainability looks like on campus and they're the ones that have the least amount of like just support mm-hmm. too. So it's like, it's hard. It's like, it's really hard. <laughs> well, it's also difficult because like, kind of what you were saying before in that like faculty are the ones who like are here long enough to like see things change and to make things change um but also like the flip side of that is like so many faculty members are so slow to change Mm -hmm. like how long did it take us for like swish to canvas like some (laughs) professors are still on blackboard like that little thing like rocked their whole world so like you still have like i have a bunch of professors who are like print out every reading and then assign like 60 pages of reading every Mm -hmm. week and i'm like if we're being honest i'm doing the same shit i would have done if i hadn't printed this out Mm -hmm. but instead now you're forcing me to sit here with this stack of paper that i'm only going to use like for this couple of months and it's like ridiculous but they're still like i don't know i'm like it's bad for the environment but like i'm old school and like that's that has to stop being Mm -hmm. an excuse at a point um for some of the things that i think like some of like the negligence of like like administration or like faculty because like obviously like big bigger like institutional changes like like having more compass like which like that like that is incredible what you're talking about um, like those things take a really long time, but like the little things faculty yeah. can do. And that's why I think like green office is like such a cool idea. Cause like, if you can like start like changing the minds of like the, cause I feel like like students are like much more willing to change. Whereas like the older folks on campus, not to call out older folks, but like <laughs> are much less willing to do so. Um, but yeah. I love that. I think that I've sort of realized that there's lots of really great channels for students to advocate to the university to sort of enact change and that there are people there who care but you know both ends of that equation just need more voices and so i think that's something that we as students can do is sort of find ways to vocalize i think that you know georgian is very reactive to student voices when they are loud enough and so i think that if one thing that each and every student can do is just if they feel passionately about this stuff, be like, hey, I feel passionate about this. I'm going to, you know, tell my representative for my academic counselor, tell Gessa and encourage them to, uh, like, sign on to a petition or I'll email my dean or something like that. And I think those voices are what the administration needs to hear. I was I was talking to one of the SFS deans a couple of days ago, and I was talking, we were talking about printing, and he he was actually, he didn't, he was not, he wasn't even aware that professors were making students print so much stuff and also wasn't aware that students have to pay for printing. So I think there's a lot of stuff what? that, yeah. <laughs> How crazy are you? Because it, <laughs> I'm so <laughs> But it's, it's, it's because there's such a, I think there's such a disconnect between like certain, like a lot of the aspects of the university are very siloed. And so one thing that we as students can do is sort of tell our professors, tell our faculty, tell our staff and deans is like, hey, this is something that's happening right now. And a lot of times they're like, oh, like, that's great. Like, and they will do something to change. But I think that one, we just really should emphasize ways in which we can help them care. Mm-hmm. Um, so to sort of wrap everything up, I was wondering if everyone would sort of go around and think about one thing they're either optimistic for going forward that they think the university could do or something that they would like to see us do more work on. 
I'll start. I, we haven't talked about this that much, but it's really something that the more I think about, like, what is the biggest net impact we can have. I would like to see the university fully divest from, uh, like, all fossil fuel, mm-hmm. um, which is a huge method, a uh, huge point of the GU Fossil Free Club. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a hard, hard task that comes from a bunch of older people that are in charge of our board. Um, but I think it would just make an incredible statement about who we want to be as a university and where we see ourselves in the future and what we see of our future. I agree with that. I, <laughs> um, I think that's really impactful. One thing that I would, uh, this is like me dreaming, honestly, but that I would love to see happen on campus is there's been in the past like working groups that include administration mm-hmm. include faculty members looking at how to get georgetown to uh, be single-use plastic free um it, or other and also like looking at how to create a circular economy in georgetown which essentially mm-hmm. means like eliminating also like looking simultaneously at our waste streams and our production streams um and how to like make neither of those be wasteful mm-hmm. um and I would just love to see that happen on campus. I think that'd be revolutionary, but also like put Georgetown at the forefront of environmentalism where I think the whole society's going. So I think it'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, I feel like as I've said a couple times, like the biggest thing for me is like education. Mm-hmm. So I think it would be cool if like one of our gen eds had something to do with like learning about mm-hmm. climate and like how to be a responsible citizen um, because I think it's ridiculous that on a Georgetown campus you have students who are climate deniers. Um, I think that's absolutely <laughs> absurd. Um, and I think, you know, hopefully some kind of like formalized education could help, um, you know, put aside some of that ignorance. But um, obviously it wouldn't be like a 100% cure, but I think it would be useful no matter what. Yeah, I was thinking something along the same lines, maybe on a micro scale, that like, um, you know, green and the administration can only do so much, like eventually like peer-to-peer education has to occur and like mm-hmm. actual like conversations. And that was something I was thinking about where like, you know, like it's a huge problem with like student activism on campus where like shit gets done and like, m- like people like petition and movements occur. And then like you have like people who are just like tapped out, like they just don't know what the fuck's happening. And like fair, you know, it's kind of hard to like tap in. But like I think like it, a lot of it comes down to like the uh, yeah peer to peer communication. And I think like th- that's not on like green members. That's on like kind of like creating an environment in which people are just talking about this as over like Leos or something. Yeah, I think for me, I would love to see. So on one end, I would love to see um, student advocacy organizations um, work harder to show to sort of tell students hey like if you have concerns please bring them to us and we can like advocate for you so like I'm part of SFS academic council and like there's a lot of stuff that people bring up and then we tell it to the deans and they're like oh my gosh like we had no idea and so just being like trying to really just anytime you think you have any issue tell like a representative or tell someone so that way that can get to the people who can do something about it because I think part of the ignorance is on is on the part of students, but part of the ignorance is the people who run the school, and it's not welfare ignorance, it's just they don't even know it's an issue until we tell them, and so I think that's really important. And then the other thing I would love to see us do is sort of tied to the, you mentioned like the temperature stuff, 
um, in like dorms and, and whatnot. And I would love to see us be better about like climate control efficiency because especially in like dorms, especially in buildings like the ICC, like it is just like you get like a 10 degree temperature shift from floor to floor. It's wild. Like you open the doors like in the winter or the summer, and it's just like a blast of like climate control there and just finding ways to be smarter about how we do that would like first of all it save Georgetown a ton of money and it would be have a tremendous effect on our energy usage and I think that would be something that it really is a big top-down thing but I think it is something that you know can be presented in such a way that the university takes it seriously and really commits to doing that for their own benefit and to send a message to the world that we're very serious about environmentalism um so yeah, I want to thank everyone for coming out tonight. Thank you. Um, I'm so glad that you are all so interested in supporting this. And I really appreciate how you brought such interesting and such unique perspectives from so many different sides of this issue to this. And really, I feel like I really have a, a better understanding of you know why I should care about sustainability and what does that actually mean. So thank you all for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, ben. Thanks, Ben. And thanks, Keila and Max. Thank you for <laughs> Yes, I want to thank our gracious hosts for letting me do this under their gorgeous branding of afternoon tea. <laughs> plug our social media. Uh, you can follow the Georgetown Boys <laughs> <laughs> on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, afternoon tea. Pick up an issue, you know? Wait, wait. Do you guys have stuff to plug? Yeah, do you have stuff to plug? Plug green. Join green. Yeah. Uh, we meet on Tuesday nights. 8 p.m. And White Gravener. 201B. Super low key, super fun. But we get shit done. Yeah. <laughs> and if you want to talk to a student representative, you can email me, Ben Ulrich, at btu2 at georgetown.edu or anyone else on SFS Academic Council. Um, and where can I find this podcast? Uh, you can find it on either georgetownvoice.com or. Uh, you can find well. You can also find us on like Apple Podcasts, Voice Podcast Network, or recently you can find us on Spotify. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Under Voice Podcast or the Voice Podcast Network, I think. Google, just search one of those. You'll find it. <laughs> That's um, a game changer. Yeah, we're pretty official. So. Phenomenal. <laughs> Thank you again for all your support. Bye.